For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our paper two days ago telling us who we have to take. Welcome back, folks, here on the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects Podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by two NFL Draft analysts, Ryan Roberts and Alex Gilstrap. We're coming at you on Sunday when we're recording this after week two of college football action with some pretty interesting reactions to some upsets, some really fantastic play, and then also some underwhelming uh, performances from a guy that was hyped up over the summer. Before we can get into that conversation, folks, I just want to tell you about Bet Online. We've got football going on everywhere. And if you're going to be betting, there's only one place for you to head, and that is Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one spot for all pro and college football action this season. Get all of the odds, all the updated odds, props, and contests, including the online's biggest half million dollar. NFL Mega Contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest open now at Bet Online. Head to their website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. Take advantage of their opening day super promo. Make a bet, and that is no longer active, but they've got other promos that are happening. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, producer Alex T, I'll give you a pass because we're very swamped right now for not sending out a read, but uh, <laughs> folks definitely head on over to Bet Online. So, guys, we've got a lot to talk about. It, it seems like coming into the week, the expectation is we weren't going to have very much exciting stuff going on, but instead we end up with this, this Oregon Ohio State game that was super exciting. The Washington Michigan game ends up being competitive for a period of time, and then it kind of got away from. Washington there in the end of the game and then we also kind of got a glimpse at uh, some of these other bigger name prospects but I want to I want to hop right into that Oregon Ohio State game I think that the expectation was that Ohio State was going to blow past a Pac-12 team but instead we have a huge performance from CJ Verdal their running back we have a really good game from safety Verone McKinley who's been on the show before and I want to open up here because I know that we have very differing opinions on CJ Verdal who had himself an absolute statistically dominant day and I want to I want to air this out now this is against a, a, a competitive Ohio State defense with a lot of talented players are we buying into the Verdal hype or are we completely dismissing it we're all smiling and laughing because we know what Ryan's about to say well, I'm going to say that I don't know anything about C.J. Verdal, but I know who C.J. Verdell is. Oh, and, um, <laughs> That's what we're smiling about, Joe. Thank you. <laughs> you can't say the F-bomb on the air, but... Um, I don't care. I <laughs> know uh, you don't care. Um, C.J. Verdell is a... Um, I don't know why so I said that. Am I buying into the hype? 
I'm not buying into hype, man. I'm just not because we knew what Ohio State's deficiencies were. They lost four linebackers, Pete Werner, Baron Browning, um, and just a lot. They lost a lot on the second level. They lost a lot on the third level. We knew where the deficiencies were for the Ohio State Buckeyes going into this game. Tough Borland. A lot of guys left that had played a ton of football for Ohio State. And we saw Oregon clearly understood where their advantages were. And I will give C.J. Verdell credit for what he is. He is a physically well-put-together, smaller back with good breakaway speed, and he has explosiveness to his game. And we saw, I mean, like that one, what was it, 80-yard touchdown run? That that play was so well-blocked. Like, people were, like, going nuts over C.J. Verdell. And I'm like, uh, are we watching this blocking up front? Like, that is fantastic stuff, man. The guy was untouched going 80, which never happens. And it wasn't because he created it and he juked somebody out of his shoes on the second level. Like, it was literally because this hole was gigantic and he beat a safety that took a terrible angle. So, give him credit for what he is. This did not change my opinion on him. This more, for me, solidified what I already knew about Ohio State in the fact of like, hey, Tejada Mitchell's an okay little football player. They have Pale Gayotiote from USC transferring over, who hopefully is going to play a lot more football. But on the second and third levels of the defense, Ohio State's not good right now, man. And that's the biggest takeaways that I had from this game. Not so much CJ Verdell. It just kind of solidified what I already knew about Ohio State. So I don't know if y'all remember, but uh, summer of – 2019 going into 2020 season. I Never had CJ Verdell as a, Never heard of it. Yeah. Well, let's just say I had CJ Verdell as RB5 going into the 2020 season. So I was I've I've been on I've been on the train before. Uh kind of fell off a little bit. And I see and I, I see him kind of I've kind of met in the middle with him. He's he's a day three running back. Let's not get it twisted. But this is someone that has a lot to like. I mean, he's he's a compact build, like you said, well put together, and he has physical traits that you can get behind at the next level. Vision is suspect uh, at times, and but you, if you just realize that this is someone that it, it, if you don't have to rely on in the run game at the next level, this is someone that you can kind of have as a depth piece that you know what you're getting out of, and you're getting someone that he's only going to take what you what the offensive line gives him in a sense. He's not going to create very much because of his ability to to find open lanes when nothing looks to be there or or break. A ton of tackles. I think he has good tackle breaking ability, but he's not one of those guys that strings together broken tackles uh, with with much consistently consistency like we see with like Brees Hall and some of these other running backs are going to probably be day two picks uh, come next April. But uh, I like CJ Verdell. I've always kind of liked him. He's one of those players that I just love watching, and and for me uh, that goes that goes a long way in in me getting behind you as a prospect. Is just do I enjoy watching your film? And he's one of them that I've always enjoyed that Utah. Uh, Pac-12 championship game with Justin Herbert that it, his last year. That that was my favorite film watch at the running back position going into the 2020 season. So, um, but yeah, no, I came into this game. I was talking to a friend of mine at work. We, you know, those little ESPN pick 'em games where you you pick the spread and everything. It's a 14 and a half spread. Ohio State was favored by, and I was like, Ohio State's going to mop the floor with Oregon. I know they're ranked, you know, Oregon's ranked up there and everything else, but they looked bad last week against Fresno State. They did not look good, and I just thought Ohio State, yeah, they started kind of sluggish, but that's to be expected. It's week one, new quarterback, everything else, but they just have too much firepower on offense for Oregon to be able to keep up. So this one really came to a surprise. Ohio State had a, a bunch of defenders that I thought, you know, 
could contain Oregon's offense enough for their uh, for Ohio State's offense to score, outscore Oregon, and that just did not end up being the case. I know uh, Oregon's defense came to play. They have defenders on that that team, even without Kayvon Thibodeau, looked very, very good in this game and contained uh, Ohio State's passing attack very well. So um, really impressed with Oregon. I know the AP poll came out a little higher than – uh, I mean, I know they beat Ohio State, but that's a little high. Uh, but we'll we'll go with it. This is this is a fun college football season where I don't think there's too many teams that are separating themselves at the top. I would say the one thing that makes me very hesitant on CJ Verdell is we we talk about the speed and we talk about the compact frame that he has, which is all good stuff, and he has a little contact balance to him. You mentioned the um, the lack of vision. I really would even. I would put preface it as saying the lack of patience because I think that he just does not let things develop in front of him. He's kind of a one-cut downhill guy, but like he gets downhill a little too quick in my opinion. And then I don't see a big profile as a pass receiver. And then when you throw that in, the, the lack of pass receiving experience on the top of the fact that he's five foot seven and six ace and 194 pounds verified in the spring. This is a smaller back that doesn't really impact the passing game as much as you want. So that's why I am personally just a little more hesitant. Like he has the profile that you would think of as a early ball, early, early down ball carrier. And I don't think that's what he is. This guy has to be a change of pace type back. And I just don't see that. Um, I don't see that physical profile. It's one of those, do the traits match? Yeah, the the role that he he will play. So yeah, there's definitely some there should be some hesitation in that regard. So one of the other big top performers in this game has to be Verone McKinley, and it, it takes a lot to stand out the way that he did in this performance. Oregon without two of their best defensive players, especially Kayvon Thibodeau is going to impact how effectively they were going to get after C.J. Stroud. But, man, McKinley made a lot of big plays on the football on some of these passing plays, especially that late interception that pretty much iced the game. And he obviously came on the show. But, like, what are your guys' thoughts on McKinley? I I don't know if this is necessarily like, oh, we need to uh, bump the stock on him because of the way he played against Ohio State, but rather he's putting himself more in the spotlight, and I think he's going to get more recognition after this game. I think my greatest take of all time is, and I'm saying this like like legitimately, I think my greatest take of all time was after the 2019 season, I said, because everybody was talking about Javon Holland, who was the darling going into the 2020 season, although he opted out for the 2020 football season, ended up going in the second round, high second round pick also. Javon Holland, they had um, Thomas Graham Jr. at cornerback, and they had Demandre Lenore, the other cornerback, who were all drafted, I believe. I think Graham may have went UDFA, but like they were all draftable prospects in the Oregon secondary. They were all upperclassmen, all going into their senior seasons. And my big take was at that point was, Verona McKinley's the best one, in my opinion. He was only a redshirt freshman at the at the time, and we're going into the 2020 season, and he's technically eligible. And I'm like, why are we not talking about Verone McKinley the third right now? Like our junior, sorry, not the third. And no, yeah, his, his Twitter says the the, yeah, his Twitter says the third. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. So Verone McKinley the third. I'm like, why are we not talking about Verone McKinley, who is a guy that came into Oregon as an outside corner? They moved him in as a redshirt fre- or as, as a true freshman. I'm sorry, into nickel, and he had redshirted during that season. Had played a little bit because you know they had the four game rule, and then they move him to safety where he can kind of play more inside. He can come down, play in the slot. He can play on the roof. He can play too high. He can do a lot of different things. 
And I didn't think he had a great 2020 season. I graded him out as a high third round pick, which was lower than I thought I was going to have him after the 2019 season. Cause I thought his 2019 was fantastic, but 2020 was not fantastic because the season, you know, the PAC 12 season, I think he only played in four games. There was a lot of moving parts. Thomas Graham didn't play. Demondre Lenore didn't play. Javon Holland didn't play. So like, oh, actually Lenore played, but Graham and Holland did not play. So you're kind of like, there's a lot of moving parts, new pieces in the secondary. But McKinley for me is a guy who I think day one is a starting nickel in the NFL. And I think that he has some really good man instincts um, playing against slot receivers. I think that he has really quick feet. I think that he's very proactive in that role. And then on the secondary so far this year, in, in this game specifically against Ohio State, you saw some really nice, I don't want to say instincts, because I think that he always has good instincts. I think he's always in a good in a good spot. I think there's more proactiveness to him. I think that there are some points, and this is a tough conversation between safety sometimes, there's doing your job, being in the right spot, and then being able to do your job, but also being proactive enough to come off of it a little bit and make a play on the football. Verona Achilles is always in the right spot, but there was something missing in the 2020 film where like he didn't take that a little more of a freelance type of approach and wasn't able to make a play on the football and wasn't able to create a turnover. We saw that against Ohio State, man. Like it wasn't always the fact that like, hey, he's just in a great spot and he's always in, you know, he's always in the right right situation and he's doing all types of things. There was proactiveness to him. He forced the issue a lot for Ohio State. And I think when we're talking about a guy that can play a lot of roles in the nickel, playing safety, playing single high somewhat, I don't think he's a true single high safety, but playing in a plethora of roles, I think Verone McKinley is a good football player, man. And I wouldn't be shocked if he goes in the second round when all is said and done. Yeah, I mean, I didn't get to watch this game as quite as much as I wanted to, just being on the road towards Athens, but – I mean, from what I was able to see, I mean, he looked like he just was always, like you said, in the right place at the right time. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't know that tidbit about him being a former corner converted safety. I thought he was safety all the time. But you can kind of see that, uh, you know, because like you said, he, some of his best ball, because of his short area quickness playing in the slot, you know, in man coverage, some of his best ball is in, is in man-to-man coverage, you know, like you said, in the slot. So, uh, Veron McKinley is, you know, he, he's someone that really did impress in week one or week two here. Um, first game that I really paid too much attention uh, to Oregon. I didn't really watch anything on Fresno State. But I, I think the point you made about the 2020 season and the disappointment disappointment relative to expectations for McKinley and some of these other players, I think we're going to see that a lot. And I think we're going to see that a lot in the Pac-12. I think we're going to see a lot of football players come out of the Pac-12, especially because of their limited sample size in 2020, come out of nowhere or show vast improvement because they didn't have enough tape in 2020. So we're going into 2021 season during summer scouting. We're just watching 2020. So there's four games to choose from for a lot of these guys, four to five games. So uh, you know, we, we watch a few of them. We get it. We get the feel for what they look like in 2020, but they just didn't have that full season to put out, uh, which is just rare, obviously, because that that's this is something that's un, unprecedented, uh, you know, in the sport of college football. So. So I think this Pac-12 season is going to be really interesting, which makes me excited because I, I, I've always loved the late night games, those 1030 USC games, you know, I uh, just love watching them. So I think, you know, Keaton Slovis is another guy we're going to look to see bounce back. I know health was one thing, but uh, also having the limited sample size has hurt him. So I think in college football, we're going to see a lot of 
names come out of nowhere, a lot of names really improve, and I think that's going to be especially true uh, in the Pac-12. One guy that is everyone keeps talking about from Oregon is Michael Wright, the cornerback mm-hmm. for Oregon. I will say this: thirty-inch arms, five foot ten, right around that ballpark for Michael Wright. He's a nickel at the next level, and I am here to tell you this is my take, and I hope everyone agrees with it. If not, just remember I said it. Vero McKinley is the best nickel prospect on that Oregon team, not Mikael Wright. Ryan's already calling his shot early. <laughs> calling speaking, it, man. Speaking of shots, we we had the, a pretty good matchup despite being this game being overall pretty terrible to watch, and I'm referring to the Michigan-Washington game. There was a key prospect matchup that I think a lot of people wanted to see, and that was between Aiden Hutchinson, Michigan's defensive end, versus Jackson Kirkland, who is Washington's one of Washington's offensive tackles. And this was an important game for both of these guys to really establish themselves against players that are supposed to be relatively within the top five of their position groups. And the one thing I think that we really saw in this game from Aiden Hutchinson is that he took Jackson Kirkland's lunch money. We saw a lot of really, really good play against uh, from Hutchinson against Kirkland in this game. What are your guys' overall thoughts from this performance? I love that you said took his lunch money. That's my reference. That's 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 Ryan's podcast type of um, conversation. Okay. But I love it, man. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, so... The offense, I'm going to start with the offensive tackle group for one. All right. There's two layers to this. First of all, offensive tackles. We're talking about, in my opinion, Evan Neal, Sean Ryan, I think is going to fight for offensive tackle one when it's all said and done. The next group, like, let's figure it out. Is it Charles Cross from Mississippi State? Is it, um, is it Zion Nelson from Miami? Or is it Jackson Kirkland from Washington, which seems to be the darling in a lot of people's opinions, especially if we're talking about the draft network. Like they seem to absolutely be all in on Jackson Kirkland. I, I think I heard Joe Marino or Kyle Krabs, one of them that said that he was offensive tackle one for them, which is a little high for me. And I know when we did our offensive tackle preview, I think I said like second round, I'm there on Jackson Kirkland. First round, little hesitant. And I think that we saw in this game the reasons why for me. I think that he has some length to him. I think he's technically sound. I think he's a good athlete. I would say good athlete. I don't think that he has a ton of strength to him. And I think that this matchup against Aiden Hutchinson was the worst thing for him because Aiden Hutchinson is a long, power-converting defensive end. He's not incredibly flexible. He's not an outside track rusher. But what he is is he's got 270 pounds with vines for arms and strength to him. Like, he has that power profile. And he took him to the woodshed a little bit. And I will also say this, on the other side of it, defensive end-wise, edge position-wise, I've been a I don't want to say lower on Hutchinson because I have a firm second-round grade on Aiden Hutchinson. I think he's a really solid good football player. I don't think Aiden Hutchinson is a – I don't think that he's a high-volume sack guy. I don't even think he's a true 4-3 defensive end. I think this guy is a guy that can play some five, can play outside a little bit, but like he is going to play all over the defensive line. I don't consider him a true defensive end, a true edge prospect. I think that he is a guy that his alignment versatility is his begging selling point. So was this a big bump for Aiden Hutchinson? I think it was because I think that at the end of the day, Aiden Hutchinson has a very good chance to go in the first round. Now, I think that that's more just a 
And, you know, I, I think that is a slight overreaction, to be honest. I don't think that he has traits where I would say, like, he is a high-volume set guy. So I wouldn't be so willing to draft him in the top 20. But I think he has a chance to go there because, like, let's call it what it is. The first two weeks, he's unblockable. And he just beat one of the best offensive tackles in all of college football. But I would just like to say that I think that this is a good representation of the fact that this edge class is phenomenal and this offensive tackle class is not right now. There's a lot of question marks. And I don't think for us right now that this offensive tackle, Jackson Kirkland speaking out of Washington, has done anything to erase those. There is two very good offensive tackle cl- uh, offensive tackle prospects in this class, in my opinion, that still have a little yeah. growth to be had. And then there's a whole lot of question marks. I don't think Jackson Kirkland answered it. And I think Aiden Hutchinson is doing the best of his ability to be in that tier with Kayvon Thibodeau. He will never get there. But the Kayvon Thibodeau, George Karloftis, Jay Sanders, Adam Anderson, like to be in that next group of defensive end prospects, I think he has a chance to get there with his alignment versatility. Yeah, going in, like coming out of the summer – or maybe it was going into the summer because we talk, we've talked about Aiden Hutchinson for a year now because he was draft eligible last year. He's been a name. So going into this summer, I knew I was going to be – I just expected to be a little lower on him. And I I liked a little bit more of what I saw in 2020, but I just wasn't all the way there as we, we talked about in our Edge uh, preview show over the summer. But I think I kind of undersold his athleticism a little bit personally I, I and it's not from like an explosiveness standpoint like it is with some of these other guys Maje Sanders Adam Anderson I think he's flexible and, and I think he just does I think I think he's fl- flexible for what he is at 270 pounds like I think he's got good flexibility and he really knows how to use leverage to the best of his ability so I don't think he's an athlete from like a explosiveness standpoint like some of these you know undersized uh defensive end outside linebacker uh prospects that you kind of noted there but I think this guy's an athlete for what he is in size, and then his his technical ability. This guy just knows how to string together pass rush moves and keep his chest clean. He just does a very, very good job of that, and we saw that against Jackson Kirkland, who I don't think is the longest offensive tackle prospect in the, you know in those top couple tiers. I mean, he's got some link to him, but I don't think he's the longest. And like you said, that that physical that physicality at the point of attack is kind of missing with Kirkland. That's like his big question mark at this point. And transition to the next level, that's that's what I think is going to be his biggest struggle as a rookie. You see it with Garrett Bradbury his first couple of years now. Drew Dahlman got his lunch money taken. We're just going to keep rolling with lunch money taken. Drew Dahlman in the preseason got his lunch money taken. And so these are some of those those interior offensive linemen that really have been exposed for a lack of play strength. And Jackson Kirkland on the outside kind of has a lot of those similar uh, weaknesses and, and and physically, so Aiden Hutchinson just did a good job of maximizing his abilities by by exposing Jackson Kirkland's biggest negatives. So Aiden Hutchinson, I think, is someone that I think I'm a little bit higher on him. I think this is someone that I would peg probably late first round to one of those playoff teams that just needs some extra juice uh, as a rotational guy early on that can solidify himself as a versatile chess piece on the defensive line, like you said. But Aiden Hutchinson. Really, really had an impressive performance, and he's two weeks now. He's 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 really impressed me. Let me ask you a question, Alex. I know you mentioned flexibility with Hutchinson. I, I'm going to make an assumption here, and you tell you can debunk me if I'm wrong. Okay, so flexibility. I think a lot of people think about outside track rushers that have a lot of hip, right. hip and ankle flexibility. Right. But for me, the flexibility that I see from Hutchinson is, and I think it was Ben Fennel who said this on his podcast with Fran Dunphy, which which is a Fran Duffy, who's a it's a fantastic podcast if you haven't listened. 
Um, and he talked a little bit about a comparison between Hutchinson stylistically, not comparing him to the player, but to J.J. Watt, where like J.J. can be an outside track rusher, but like the flexibility that he has to peek back inside and then hit inside right. counters, that's the flexibility I see with Aiden Hutchinson. Do you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. That's kind of what I was getting at, and I didn't know how to properly get out my verbiage there, but – you know, I talked about like not like not in the way that I you, you talk about athleticism with Maje Sanders and Adam Anderson, like you said, bending the edge, you know, getting that outside track. But this is someone that has the core strength to be able to duck and to dip and in in work, you know, inside work gap to gap. This and that's where the flexibility is. Where I'm noted, and you noted about that as well. So the, the last guy that we want to bring up on today's discussion for the podcast is, is somebody who strangely found themselves in this top five or just overall first round discussion. And we're referring to Emory Jones, the now starting in quotes, starting quarterback for the Florida Gators took, took over for Kyle Trask who threw for a ton of touchdowns, a ton of yards is now a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. And like I'm, I was stating for some, whatever reason, without throwing many passes in the sec, everybody anointed this, this young man as a first round selection as a quarterback. And I think that now that we're actually starting to see him play after two games, it's pretty apparent that this guy probably doesn't have much draft value, if at all. This is a guy who probably at some point is going to get beat out, and like we see with a lot of quarterbacks, they have to transfer. And we all know the guy who's hovering right behind him, breathing down his neck, Anthony Richardson, the, the massive quarterback, fantastic athlete, the guy who's doing backflips before football games. His stat lines and the very limited action that he's just been asked to step in there is stupid. He throws for multiple touchdowns. He has a couple throws. He rushes for a few hundred yards in these two games thus far. So uh, we need to unpack here for this last talking point. Why is it apparent now that Emory Jones does not belong in that first round discussion? What has been exposed after these two these two games? I, th- I think Emory Jones is the perfect example of why not to go over the top with summer scouting sometimes. You take what players do well and you magnify it a little bit. You amplify it to a degree because you take the next step. You're hoping that Carson Strong can take being a very good quarterback in 2020 to being the first overall pick. Like You think that could happen. But then there's guys like Emory Jones who is has thrown 92 career passes. And if you're a pro football focus, PFF tweet for a second, that is putting him in the first round. Or if you're just a random guy on draft Twitter that's going to put a second round grade on him when he's thrown 92 career passes, you cannot do this. You can put him in an article where you say – This guy could be a riser. This guy could be the next dude if he does what he did in a limited sample size in a large sample size. You can do that. But if we're putting second rounds or we're putting him in first round mock drafts based upon 92 career passes, this is where you lose credibility. And I hate to be super negative on this, but there is nothing that Emory Jones has done in his Florida career up until this point in the summer where you could have walked to him and said, he is a second-round draft pick right now. Because that's what you're putting on him. You're saying he's got a second-round pick right now with a little bit of projection. 
No, we need to see him play football. And what we've seen in the first two weeks is two interceptions in back-to-back weeks, four total now. And we're seeing a guy behind him, Anthony Richardson, who's probably more talented, who's definitely bigger, definitely faster, and has put up better stat lines in also a smaller window of opportunity. So will he overall be a better quarterback? We don't know. But what we know right now is Emory Jones is not good. He's six foot two, 210, 215 pounds, which is okay size. He's a very good athlete. He's a good athlete. There's no doubt about it. But he hasn't shown growth in the passing game. He hasn't shown growth as a, a playmaker out of structure. He hasn't shown comfortability in structure. And then he's got a young man that is six foot four, 240 pounds, doing backflips for the game, throwing <laughs> three for three for 170 yards and running for 100 plus yards back to back weeks, threatening him. And I'm sorry to say this. Emory Jones is a good example of what not to do in summer scouting. People made mistakes this year. And they need to learn from well, it. Talk about small sample size and, and spinning it positively. That's what you should be doing with Anthony Richardson. We saw a very, very limited amount of snaps where this kid's playing quarterback. And the stat lines that he's produced is stupid. The throws that he's produced and the rushes he's produced is stupid. That's stuff that you react positively to. Not what we you know what we saw with, with Emory Jones, I think, in the past. So I think that's a really, really good point that you, you just brought up there, Ryan. A- Alex, what do you think? Yeah, so I think going to your summer scouting point, I think we're dealing with varying methodology. Methodology? methodology? That's the word I'm looking sure. for. Sure. I guess. Definitely not methodology. Oh, no. <laughs> Go for it. Yes. Let's not use methodology. methodology. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, right. So I think, I think it's just like a varying idea of what summer scouting is. And for some people, it's. And, and it's obvious for those that threw the second round grade or threw him in first round in mocks, talking about Emory Jones, they're building a little bit too much projection. And we're, we that's what we do in the summer leading up to a new draft class is we're, we're looking at projection. And that's where you get those articles that are saying this guy could rise, this guy could, could, could be this. But to throw a grade on him, a preliminary grade of a second round grade, that's saying – this is what this guy is right now. So where, where, while I agree in a limited sample size, there were some promise. There were some things to like, and there, there's reason to believe that this guy could rise it, with, with a much larger sample size. That's where the difference is, and that's where the point you're making, Ryan, makes so much sense, is you can't throw a grade saying this because a grade is saying this is what he has earned. Just like in school, let's go back to school. Like you earn a grade, it's because this is what you earn. He has not earned a second grade yet. You, you may believe this guy could be a second rounder, building in projection and based on your expectations of him going forward up into the to the draft. But to put a second round grade on him right now is saying that is what he is, and that is not what he is right now, and that is not what it looks like based on two weeks into his twenty twenty one trajectory, what he's going to be. It's so well said. It's like giving a kid a – we're talking about school terms for a second. It's like giving a kid yeah. an A-plus on a, on, a, on a test and then ignoring everything else. He didn't do anything else this semester, but like, hey, we're still going to give an A-plus. Like that doesn't make any logical sense. This is about a full scope of work, and you said it perfectly. If you are sitting down and you're watching this player and you are – grading all his attributes and grading his career up to this day, and you are putting a round projection and a final grade on a player, preliminary report, then you are saying that that guy is what the grade tells you he is. Because like, hey, 
What if Emory Jones got hurt before the first game and he didn't play all year? What what changed the fact that you gave him a second round grade in the summer? What game? What changed anything? You said he was a second round player. He didn't play. That's not how that works, man. Put him in a riser faller or category. Put him in an article where you say like he could be the riser. This is the same thing as I just said. Verone McKinley coming out of 2019 when I graded him would have been an early second round player. And then I graded his 2020, which was not as good. And he's a third round projection. And right now I feel like that's probably too low. He's probably a better football player than a third round caliber player. But when I graded him, that's what he was. So we need to, again, we need to define the lines between grading a football player and then making an article about a guy that could be a riser. There's a much, there's a big, big difference between the two right now. We'll wrap today's show with our players that caught our eye. Before we do, though, folks, I just want to remind you about Play Action Pools. Believe right now is doing a fantastic contest that has some fun prizes. Uh, make sure you get in on the action with our PlayActionPools.com Football Pick'em Challenge, which is open to everyone. Here's how it works. Sign up for our contest, Believe Football Pick'em, at PlayActionPools.com, and then get your picks in each week. We're going to select the 10 highest profile games of the week between the NFL and college football. Whoever gets the most picks correct each week will win a pair of electric sunglasses and a pair of DC shoes. Again, go to PlayActionPools.com and sign up for the contest, Believe B-L-E-A-V, football pick'em. And if you plan on hosting your own football contest, go to playactionpools.com today. They've got Survivor, Pick'em, as well as cool sportsbook-style concept called Build Your Bankroll. Playactionpools.com, your new home for all of your office sports pools. So guys, wrapping us up with what is a a fantastic, uh, fun topic to hit here quickly. Guys that caught your eye. Ryan, you've got two ones. Hit, give us the quick rundown on these two players that really popped off to you. I have three, and I'm going to run through this very quickly because I had to cheat. I had to cheat. I had to throw an FCS guy, which I knew <laughs> it would be allowed, so I threw an FCS guy in there. Trey Self, quarterback Stephen F. Austin, I keep talking about him, and I'm going to keep talking about him because nobody else is. I'm telling you right now, the kid can play. The kid, I'm not going to say he's going to be a draftable player, but I'm telling you right now that he's going to be in a camp, and I think he's got a shot to stick if he's in the right situation. Working against Texas Tech was 38 for 58 for 340-plus wow. yards, a touchdown, no interceptions, almost led them to an upset. It was 28-24. They had the ball late. They just could not quite get it in the end zone. But I'm telling you right now, Trey Self can play some football for Stephen F. Austin, 6'3 plus, 205, 210 pounds. Good athlete, can throw off, throw from multiple platforms and can throw when his, when his platform is compromised, which it was a bunch against Texas Tech. So get Trey Self from Stephen F. Austin on your radar. But the guys that I really want to talk about real quick that are on the main radar, radar is for the first time in some time, Kentucky all of a sudden has an offense. And a lot of guys want to talk about Wondell Robinson and they want to talk about Chris Rodriguez, which I think, <laughs> I think, I think, uh, I think Alex is going to talk about in a second. And I want to talk about Will Levis, the quarterback, the transfer from Penn State, who is a, having a great start to the season. But I want to talk about the offensive tackles for Kentucky. Darry Rosenthal was a player that I really loved this summer out of LSU. I thought he had some pretty solid tape. 
there's more projection to him than the finished product. So like I wouldn't have given him a super high grade back to our conversation about giving out grades, but he is a guy that has the length, has the athleticism. And I expect him to take a huge step forward. He transferred from LSU to Kentucky now starting at left tackle. And I think that he has mid round potential, maybe even a little higher because I think he does have that talent. There's some off the field stuff that needs to be answered, but I think Dari Rosenthal is a very talented left tackle for Kentucky. And then the right tackle is a guy that we've talked about on the show. Darian Kennard, who is all of 6'5 plus, 340 plus pounds with 35, 34 and plus uh, inch arms. Very talented, has like 11 inch hands. It's it's just the perfect frame for an offensive tackle. Now, I don't value him in offensive tackle. I do not. I think that he is a guard every day, all every single day, and then especially on Sundays. Reminds me a lot of Kalechi Semele who was an offensive tackle at Iowa State, ended up being a pro ball guard for the Baltimore Ravens. I just see him every time I turn on the film for Darian Kennard. And for this last game at Kentucky, we talked about like the great passing offense that they had in the first week. Ran for over 200-plus yards this past week. And a lot of that is Darian Kennard being an absolute bully in the run game. So let's take a second and appreciate the offensive line play that we have at Kentucky, especially Rosenthal left tackle and Darian Kennard at right tackle, although he will be a guard down the road, in my opinion. No, I like the like the shout outs there. Darian Kennard, Dari Rosenthal, both guys that that solidified that offensive line, uh, both on the outside there to make way for two playmakers. And all three of my guys I'm going to touch on quickly are from the same game. Yeah, <laughs> from the same game, Kentucky and Missouri, which I think, aside from the Oregon uh, Ohio State game. This is my favorite game to watch, and it was because one, it was genuinely a good game, and two, there's just a lot of guys to watch. And uh, you know, I'll start off with the the Kentucky guys as we're talking about Kentucky. Chris Rodriguez Jr., the running back, all of five eleven, two twenty five. I mean, this guy's a physically imposing running back with some juice athletic a- athletically. This isn't someone I watched over the summer, and I was kind of bummed out I didn't because it was like the next guy on my list uh, before our running back show, and I wish I had because. Through two weeks, I, I really like this guy. I think this guy in a weak running back class, like a running back class that I'm down on personally. I'm not a big Isaiah Spiller fan, as you know, and I'm I'm a little bit lower on Brees Hall than some others uh, in this year's class. Chris Rodriguez Jr. is someone that I really, really like. So, uh, And then coming into the summer, Wandale Robinson was one of those kind of hasn't really done too much. Nebraska is where he originally went. He's a top recruit. It's kind of a scat back, undersized running back that can – run some routes and be a receiver out of the backfield at Nebraska. And because playing at Nebraska, he just didn't get quite uh, enough attention in, on the national radar uh, when he made that transition to Kentucky. But it's someone I, I you know, when I went back to recruiting rankings to kind of see if there's maybe some sleeper guys to find, that's, that's kind of how I found some guys that did not perform well as, uh, as their recruiting ranking has, ha- would have suggested to this point. Wondell Robinson was someone I came away really intrigued by and kind of remind uh, – Mm. I don't know who he reminds me of. I was going to say something, but I'm not going to go there. Uh, but Wondell Robinson, he's just he's just so annoying for a defense. I, I just got a picture because he's he's a smaller guy, but he's just so shifty. And I think what where I was going with that is he's Kadarius Tony before he became a better route runner. Because Kadarius Tony really, really that was one point of emphasis in his game going into the 2020 season was being an improved. Uh, route runner, so he could he could separate better. He had the natural athleticism, but he hadn't really been able to obtain the, the, the route running degree that he did, and why he became a first round pick. Wondell Robinson has some similar physical traits from just a 
athletic standpoint, I don't know how else to put it. Just this guy can change directions. He's loose. He's fluid. And, and he just has a knack for making big plays, whether that's as a, as a runner or after the catch or, or out of the backfield, or this is uh, someone down the football field at the, at the catch point making plays down the football field. So both of those guys at Kentucky are really, really intriguing. And then Missouri's Tyler Beatty. This is someone that I was told uh, by Alex Simpson, good friend uh, through draft Twitter, uh, to watch over the summer. And I wish I had a guy. I didn't get to him either. But Tyler Beatty is someone that can kind of do it all. He had – he was our leading receiver and leading rusher in this game, and a good, you know, I think a, I think a pretty good Missouri offense, uh, to be fair. And uh, Tyler Beatty just looks like he can do it all. As I loved his contact balance in this game, uh, just had a knack for for making big plays. So that game was really exciting to watch. If you haven't watched that game, I would try to see if you can at least uh, sit down and watch some film on those three guys. Tyler Beatty, real quick, I put out a tweet this morning that literally said, I'm in on Tyler Beatty. <laughs> I can't believe that Missouri for multiple years has chosen to run Larry, Round. Larry Roundtree as their lead back when they had Tyler Beatty. I know Beatty's smaller. I get that there might not be a huge projection with him as a lead ball carrier at the next level. Right. But my dude, as a multiplicative athlete, the ability to win in the run and the pass game, and I think he's a better runner, more physical runner than maybe given credit for. But my dude has some legit juice, has great hands in the pass game. This kid is legit. I think that he could go day two because I think he's that type of football player. Better version of Michael Carter from North Carolina last year. I'm all in on Tyler Beatty. Well, like let's uh, let's wrap up on that very definitive note by Ryan there. Folks, be sure to follow us on social media at NFL Prospects Pod, at Joe DeLeon, at Rise and Draft, at Alex Gilstrap, and at Believe Podcasts. Uh, also head to riseanddraft.com. Hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening, and also follow us and subscribe on YouTube, NFL Prospects Pod. Thank you for tuning in, folks. Talk to you soon, and stay tuned for some fantastic interviews. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.